Jesus, thank you for Davi. Thank you for um, the life that he lives. Thank you for um, the fact that his life glorifies you. And I thank you for the word that you've given to him. And I pray that you would um, help him communicate it in a way that we can understand well. And I pray for us as well that we would open up our hearts to you and that you'd speak your words of life that we might have change in our lives. Amen. It's so wonderful to be with you again tonight. I always enjoy coming here. It's so hard, you know, when people ask me, how did the sermon go? I go, I don't know. I had a wonderful time. I hope the people that were listening to me had a wonderful time too. It's a wonderful theme that we are focusing on this term, you know, while we're looking at a body of heroes. And it's so amazing for me that we can come together here as fellow believers and gather, you know, with the doors open and the lights on um, with such freedom and liberty. And in many parts of the world, this is not a reality. You know, tens of thousands of Christians, if they wanted to have a service today, would have needed to draw the blinds very tightly, have someone at the door to look for the secret police um, or the government that might want to come and interrupt that, uh, interrupt that meeting. And it's sad that we sometimes get familiar with this. We sometimes get tired of this, you know, and when it's a little rainy, you know, we don't come to church or, you know, my favorite show is on the, on the TV and I, you know, give it a skip so easily. And we can so easily forget about the euros that have claimed these very, very significant freedoms for us, you know, the freedoms that we enjoy in, the, in this car, country did not come, you know, very easily. The freedoms we enjoy in this country were hard fought for by many men and women that we can consider euros. But I love this whole idea of euros, and I wonder if you ever thought about how important euros are in our lives. If you look at human history, there is almost not a time in recorded human history where we cannot find a story or a myth about some sort of hero. I don't know if you've ever heard about the Epic of Gilgamesh, um, but uh, that's an ancient Mesopotamian um, um, creation myth. And it just speaks about Gilgamesh and how he was involved in the creation of the world. And normally they kill a lot of things and they do a lot of things. Um, but we have stories and stories of heroes throughout the ages and centuries. We love these stories. We tell these stories over and over again. We go to the movies to see these stories. And I wonder what roles hero plays in our lives. And so the dictionary defines a hero as somebody that shows significant courage, somebody that is uh, able to do something, you know, through courage and bravery, um, and by doing so, achieves something incredible. And we always admire that and look for that. But I wonder the heroes of the ages and uh, generations and centuries have always heard the stories of the heroes that have gone before them. And each and every one of us might have a hero, you know, a person that we admire, a person that we want to be like, or a person that we would like to meet. If somebody asks you, who's, who's your favorite person? Who would you like to meet more than anybody in the world? Generally, people have an idea. You know, I'd really like to meet Justin Bieber. He's just like my boy. You know, I love his songs, his beats. You know, maybe for somebody else, I'd really love to meet Drake. Um, I'm not so sure Drake, I, Drake's lyrics are really my kind of wavelength. 
but he can drop a sick beat. Um, but I, I don't know um, who your hero is. Who, who is the person that you admire? Who is the person that you would want to be like? Who is the person that you follow on Instagram? Who is the person that you follow on Twitter? You know, and you know, make sure that when they post a picture or when they tweet something, you know, the alert goes off. Who do you follow on YouTube? You know, we live in a world where we're always following somebody. We're always admiring somebody. And it means we want to be like that person. And in a sense, we want to imitate that person. So if my hero wears a certain jacket or a certain shirt or a certain brand of shoes, you know, I, I, I know you're not vain like this, but some people, you know, are a little vain like this. You know, so if their hero wears Nike or Diesel or, you know, Versace or Guess or, or Mr. Price, maybe if you're... Sh a sh maybe one of your heroes is a Sharks player and then you'd like to wear Mr. Price. That's also cool. It's, it's a lot cheaper of a hero to follow. But we, 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 we want to imitate these heroes. We want to be like them and so we, we dress like them and, and, and try and, and imitate our lives according to them. And so this idea of imitation is not foreign to Scripture. And in 1 Corinthians 11.1, um, this is Paul speaking to the Corinthians, and he's encouraging in them. And he says, and you should imitate me just as I imitate Christ. Central to discipleship in the New Testament. So when we look at heroes, the idea for us is, is to identify the hero I'd like to be like. And in this scenario, Paul says, I'm following my hero called Jesus Christ. And therefore, it's fine for you to make me your hero because Jesus is my hero. And if you follow me, we will ultimately end up at the same place for Jesus to become both our heroes. But this idea of imitation is, is a bit of a foreign idea to our culture and our surroundings, I think, to a certain extent. We live in a highly individualized culture where to be told that you are copying somebody is almost a bit of a diss, you know, because we want to be original and I want to be myself and I want to be true to my feelings and my destiny and, you know, whatever. But if we are all creatures of imitation, then who's the original among us? If you think about everything you've learned in your life, is there anything you have not learned from somebody else? You learn to speak by looking at your mom and dad making movements. You learn to walk by seeing other people walk. And if you learn to speak by seeing other people speak and hearing other people speak, then your whole conceptualization of the world is an imitation of the one that your parents gave to you. I know this is a hard message for us to receive, a hard thing for us to come to terms with. But the things that you want, is there anything that you want that nobody else ever has wanted before you? The TV, the car you want to drive, the career you want to have, the holiday to Europe, the iPhone 6, the 
Well, no, it's iPhone 10 now. Hey, sorry, yes, I'm giving giving away my age, um, or, or my maybe my priorities in a sense, which is not a not a bad thing. But we are creatures of imitation, and don't worry, you are not a copy. You have a unique fingerprint and a unique iris, and God made you unique, and you are unique in many many ways. But as it relates to who you want to be and your desires. You are always, in a sense, imitating someone, imitating a desire that you would want to have for yourself. Now, I think there is a little bit of originality, and we still very much have free will, because even though we are creatures of imitation, we choose who we want to imitate. So, yes, you imitate, but you have a choice about who you want to imitate. And I think we also have a degree of originality when we synthesize imitations, you know, when you put new desires together, you know, so I see kids doing that, you know, so somebody gave them a desire for Fanta and somebody gave them a desire for Coke and for fruit juice. And then at the party they go, I have a new desire and that's all of these drinks together, you know, and they all put them into one glass and something comes out and it's my drink, you know. Um, so they've taken their desire for all the drinks and made it one desire. And maybe we can call that a bit of originality. So I do think there is originality. But it's this concept of desire that I want to speak about tonight. And the title of my message is, The Desires of a Biblical Hero. Because that's what I want to have. And I wonder if there's anything in your life that makes it more exhilarating or depressing than your desires. Our desires is the fuel for our lives. Our desires is the very energy that gets us up in the morning. Why do you want the things you want? And why do you want the things you want so badly? Have you ever thought about why you have chosen your specific set? of desires and why you so desperately desire to have the things you desire to have. And have you thought about it a little bit longer as I have, unfortunately, because some of us are cursed with the inability to switch off our thinking. You will realize that what you actually do not desire is you do not desire the TV. You do not desire the car. You do not desire the phone. You do not desire the holiday to Europe. What you really desire is the desire of others. Because what you really want is to be wanted. And if you can allow that truth to sink in, I think your journey with Jesus can continue because you know what He wants. He wants you. And when you can learn to imitate His desire to return the love He has for you with love for yourself, then you are a lot less concerned about what other people think and what other people have because you know you are wanted and you know you are worthy. I pray that the Lord helps me to realize that. But I want to talk about something else first that I think can sometimes hinder us in imitating our biblical heroes. 
And I want to ask us the question, why are we so fascinated with euros? Now, if you know me, you will know that I am a massive Marvel Universe fan. I have seen all the movies, some of them more than once. Um, and I just, I love the movies. I love everything about them. I love the stories. I love the characters. Any Marvel fans in the room? Yeah, I figured, hey? You know, and I'm, and I'm sure you maybe even have your favorite superhero and the guy you like to follow. And, and what is amazing about superheroes, we, we have, they have superpowers and they can do incredible things. I do consider some of them a little bit less super, like what's Batman's superpower, you know? <laughs> I'm a billionaire. Okay, well, maybe that's a superpower. What's Iron Man's supermodel? You know, what does he go that, that one scene, playboy, philanthropist, billionaire, you know, um, when Captain America asks him, so who are you without the suit? But anyway, um, so some superheroes, we could say, have real superpowers and others maybe don't have real superpowers. But what I find amazing is that in the age of science and the rise of atheism, you know what the world is captured by? A story that is pure fiction about a battle for good and evil with the world. I don't know. I don't know if that's surprising to you, you know, but... But the thing that excites us the most is something that is not even remotely scientifically possible. That excites us the most. And what excites us the most is this incredible battle between good and evil for the soul of the universe. I wonder if Marvel knows something about the fiber of reality that is speaking to all our hearts. And that's why we're so enthralled by this story. But I don't think it's superpowers and the amazing abilities of the characters in these movies that appeal to us the most. I think the thing that appeals to us the most, and which is, which is accentuated by the fact that they have superpowers, is that they are real human beings like you and me. That they have real struggles and real fears and real difficulties. That they fall in love and they fall out of love. They get rejected and they get Except that they can work as a team and they can't, you know. And then they come together and they save the day. And even though they do exactly the same thing in the next movie, we still go and watch it again, you know. <laughs> How's that, hey? So, so, so the storyline has only mildly changed people, but we still go and pay the money because we love it. How's that? I, I think it is just astounding and so we have these incredible characters that we sometimes live vicariously through and we imagine ourselves overcoming the own struggles in our lives by being courageous and by being brave and by being like the heroes in the movie. Because ultimately, what makes them overcome the odds is not the fact that they have superpowers. It is the fact that they show courage. It is the fact that they make the tough decisions in the same way you and I have to every day of our lives. And so we can identify with these superheroes. And I think that's what makes them so appealing to us, is that we can see in their struggles, we can see our struggles. 
And because there's that identification and this narrative formula of the protagonist and the antagonist is as old as the foundations of human society, it speaks to our souls and to our spirits because we love to overcome. We love to overcome. And you only overcome in your life when there is the presence of fear. The significant sign of a hero is somebody that shows courage. Courage is meaningless when there is no fear. Courage is meaningless when the odds are not stacked against you. Courage is meaningless when there is nothing to fight, when there is nothing to overcome. And we see this in the lives of these heroes. But I think that there is something that we do with biblical heroes that hinder us from becoming biblical heroes ourselves. And unlike these stories in the Marvel Universe where we can identify, we sometimes struggle to identify with the biblical heroes. And so one of the apostles that I want to look at, um, the apostle Andrew, and just in my next slide I have two pictures of him. And, well, I googled images Andrew, and this came up, so... I have no idea how he actually looked 2,000 years ago. I do not know who tried their hand at depicting Andrew, but let's hope it's accurate for the sake of, of this evening. So, when it comes to the Marvel Universe, we have superheroes that are human beings just like us, and that's why we can identify with them. But you know what I think we do when it comes to the biblical heroes? of the church, and even in, in modern times, we give them the wrong superpowers. And what do I mean by the wrong superpowers? We give them the superpowers of will. We give them the superpowers of character. We give them superpowers in such a sense that we elevate them as human beings onto a plane that is no longer human. We deify them in such a way that we put them far enough from us to admire, but not close enough for us to imitate. So when we think about Madiba, you know, I think about somebody that walks around on the clouds. You know, and he just does the right thing all the time, says the right thing all the time. When I think about the apostles, when I think about Martin Luther King, when I think about all the Christian heroes, I just imagine these people that wake up five o'clock every morning and they pray for two hours and read the scriptures for another two. And then they go out and they fight social justice and they just, the world is just changed. And the thing is, when we imagine these heroes like this, we lose our ability to identify with them. We lose our ability to identify with them in our struggles. And when we lose our ability to identify with them in our struggles and see them as human beings just like you and me, we can no longer imitate them because they have ascended to a plane that we can not see ourselves ascend to. And we must be careful of this because every hero in the Christian church was a human being just 
like you and me. And Jesus, in fact, Scripture clearly says he was tempted in every way. Uh, you think Jesus was faking the sweat of blood in the Garden of Gethsemane. He was going, well, this is actually a walk in the park for me, but make me, let me make it look good. <laughs> huh? You think Jesus was faking his pain just to make it real to us, you know, to, you know, because it was actually a walk in the park. So, so when he was being tempted by Satan in, in the desert, he was like, okay, I'm not really hungry. I'm, I'm good, yeah. So let me just fake this thing, you know. No, Jesus was real. And so I think this is how we disqualify ourselves from becoming a euro in Jesus' kingdom. And because we disqualify ourselves, we never start walking the road that God has laid out for us. We never start imitating the euros of our own faith. And when we disqualify ourselves from becoming the euros in our own faith and in our own tradition, then we will imitate someone else. We will imitate someone nearer or somebody that we feel can relate to our struggles. And I'm not sure whether that person always embodies the truth of Scripture the way Jesus does. And so tonight is about following Jesus. And it is about imitating the Apostle Andrew. And I want to look at a bit of Scripture quickly. I, I say those words quickly, very hesitantly and carefully. But let's go to the Scripture in John 1. And uh, Andrew, the Apostle Andrew, is called the Paracletos, I think, if I remember correctly, which basically just refers to him as being the first disciple that followed Jesus. Now, what's interesting about John's um, recollection of, of um, Andrew and John potentially, because some scholars believe that the other disciple we'll read about now that was with Andrew was um, the Apostle John himself. So in the Synoptic Gospels, which is basically Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you can see Jesus calling the disciples. You know, Peter and them is busy fishing, or Matthew is busy doing work for SARS, and, uh, you know, <laughs> Jesus calls him and says, Tlaquan, Muna, Tlaquan. Um, come, 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 it's time. Um, but in John, we can see that there's a, a spontaneous, um, almost in a sense, imitation of, of the John the Baptist's desire. So let's read. John 1.35. The following day, John was again standing with two of his disciples. And just a quick word on John the Baptist, because I think we have so much to learn from this guy's model. And we can imitate him and really become great for the kingdom. So in our world today, it's about how many followers do you have? How many people are around you? How many people are you, are you influencing? How great are you? But for John the Baptist, his ministry was, the sole aim of his ministry was to make Jesus great. John would have succeeded in his leadership mandate when he looked behind him and nobody was following him 
and everybody was following Jesus. Then he would have said, my work is complete. Because he has increased and I have decreased. This is the upside down logic of Jesus. And if we don't learn to imitate him, we will imitate the apparent logic of the world. You know, who says, if you want to find yourself, look inside. But you know what Jesus says? Jesus says, if you want to find yourself, then lose yourself. We must realize Jesus is not a self-help guru. Jesus can see the truth. He understands reality in a completely different way to the way we think we should understand it. And we must listen carefully because the logic of the kingdom is sometimes upside down, and you can see it in the life of John the Baptist. But anyway, John was doing what he was doing best, and he was focusing the attention on Jesus. That's what his ministry was about. As Jesus walked by, John looked at him and declared, Look, not I am your father. There is the Lamb of God. When John's two disciples heard this, they followed Jesus. So Andrew and John is working, walking with John the Baptist. They are seeking to imitate John the Baptist. They are listening to his message, to his words, telling them that he is not the one, but there is one that will come. He baptizes in water, but there is one that is going to come after me, and he will baptize in the Spirit. And as John points him out, Andrew and John goes, whoosh, there he is. And the desire that John the Baptist mediates to his disciples, they accept immediately, and they turn to Jesus. Jesus looked around. <laughs> this is like, boom, question right here in uh, verse 38. Jesus looked around. They, they, they're coming towards Jesus now. They follow Jesus. Jesus looked around and saw them following. And he asked them this question. And it might seem like a simple question, but in my opinion, it is just the most important question for you to answer every day of your life. He goes, what do you want? What do you want? Because Jesus understood the centrality of desire in our lives. Jesus understood how important the things we want are to who we are becoming. And when Jesus is asking them, what do you want? Jesus is testing the intentions of their desires. He wants to make sure that they understand what they are getting themselves into, even if it's the best thing in the universe. Jesus doesn't manipulate people. Jesus doesn't sell like an advertising company today who sells you a Volkswagen Beetle behind the card, uh, a cardboard printout of a Ferrari. You know, Jesus sells you the real deal. He asks them what do you want? They replied, and it's very striking what they said, Rabbi, 
which means teacher, where are you staying? And what is striking about what Andrew and John's answer is here is what they wanted from Jesus wasn't something instant or quick. What they wanted from Jesus was going to take some time. What they wanted from Jesus is His person and not His power. That's why they say, that's why they called him Jesus teacher. We want to understand your person and your teachings. And what we want from you, you can't give us in an instant. We need to walk with you. And I wonder when Jesus asks you, what do you want? Whether it will be a thing he can do in an instant. Because if the thing that you want from Jesus can be done in an instant, I don't think you want Jesus. You want the thing. So what do you want from Jesus? Do you want a car? Do you want a house? Do you want a job? Do you want a boyfriend? Do you want a girlfriend? Do you want an iPhone 10? What do you want? Because if it's instant, I don't know what you want. For Andrew and John, it wasn't instant. They didn't want Jesus just to do a quick miracle for them. They wanted the person. They wanted to sit down with him. They said, my China, we need some coffee. We need some biscuits. Because we want to learn from you. It's going to be a late night. Where are you staying? And Jesus says in verse 39, he says, come and see, he said. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon when they went with him to the place where he was staying. And they remained with him the rest of the day. And I love this as well. Jesus doesn't say, yes, I'm, I'm staying at the Sheraton um, penthouse suite. They didn't know. Jesus just said, come and see. It could have been a pigsty for all you know. So they didn't care even where Jesus was staying. They just wanted to go with him. No matter where it was, they wanted to go. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of these men who heard what John said and then followed Jesus. Andrew went to his brother Simon and told him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. Then Andrew brought him to meet Jesus. Looking intently at Simon, Jesus said, Your name is Simon, son of John, but you will be called Caiaphas, which means Peter. You know how you know what you want? When you think about the thing that you are ready to tell people about when it happens in your life. I wonder, are you excited about telling people when you win a holiday or when you win the lotto? Not that any of you should be playing the lotto. Um, but what are you excited about telling people about? What do you look forward to posting on Facebook or Instagram? 
What experience are you trying to make a reality in your own life so that you can share it with others? Because for Andrew, the only experience that mattered was Jesus and enjoying life with Jesus. And that included parties and weddings and a whole lot of other things. Okay? It was amazing. It was wonderful. And so it's this question that I want to, to leave you with. Is what do you desire? Because I would learn a whole lot about you if you could tell me what you really wanted. I would learn a whole lot about your life, your struggles, the pains, the joys, the tragedies, the triumphs. Everything about your life rises and falls on what you desire and whether you know that you are desired. I always tell people it is the strangest thing that we have more people on the planet than we have ever had in human history. And one of the major things that people struggle with is loneliness. Seven billion people on the planet. And we feel lonely. Strange. Something's happening. So decide who you want to imitate. And decide who you want to follow. But there's one last question I want you to consider. Is who is closest to you? Because proximity, and this is my last slide, is the key to imitating the desire of your euro. Who do you seek to draw the closest? Who do you seek out? When we look at 1 Corinthians 11 verse 1, Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And I'd like to know whether you can identify a Paul in your life. Who is the person that you seek out like the Corinthians were supposed to seek out Paul? Who is the person that you seek out the way Andrew and John sought out Jesus? Because if you cannot identify a person in your life that you believe lives like Jesus then who are you imitating? You need somebody that is alive and well in the present in order to teach you the ways of Jesus. You need to find somebody to imitate. That's why we come together like this. Not so that we can all sit here and do our own thing, but that we can come together and learn to imitate the ways of Jesus from each other. Because if you don't have somebody that you are drawing close, or group of friends that you are draw drawing close, and you are not aware of the proximity of people that are like Jesus in your life, then who are you becoming?
And so maybe as I was speaking tonight, you realized that your desires isn't aligned with the truth. And that's a good thing. I realize it every day. And so if you're in my shoes, then let's pray together and say, Lord, help us to imitate you. We repent, Lord, of imitating the desires of the world, Lord. We want to imitate your desires, which is to enjoy the goodness and fullness of life in all its offering right here and now. Pray with me. Father, thank you that you have loved us and have revealed the truth to us. Lord, we repent of our imitation of the false and the fake. Lord, forgive us for not knowing that we are loved. Lord, help us to know that we are loved and help us from that place, Lord, to imitate your desires that are true and good and full and wholesome. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you.